0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the Connect Church Podcast. We hope this sermon inspires you as well as builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Today we are continuing our series about family matters, and today we're talking about money matters. Did you know that money matters to God? Of course it does, because everything to do with us matters to God, right? Right. And so money matters to God. And when when, uh, Jamie was typing up the newsletter uh, for this, is everybody getting our newsletter? Our weekly, like, okay, good. Uh, And when Jamie was typing it up, she said, this Sunday we're talking about, in our Family Matters series, we're talking about finances. And she said, I know finances are tricky to talk about and hard to talk about sometimes, but it's good to talk about them. And it is good to talk about them. And you know what? My approach to awkward conversations, and I don't really feel like this is an awkward conversation, but my approach, just so you know, if we ever have an awkward conversation... My approach is just to smile and talk about it. Let's have it. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, we're about to have an awkward conversation. Let's get into it. And then we just smile and have an awkward conversation. And I think as soon as you acknowledge that it's an awkward conversation coming, it kind of takes away that, like,
1: <sighs>
0: you know, that, that weird feeling you're about to have. Is it just me? <laughs> Denise has got a big smile on her face, and Ken is just stoic stoic so today we're talking about money matters because money matters to god now um if you go to the next slide here you'll see a fact i've been i have been reading all kinds during this series of articles online about uh family and relationships and marriages and one of the facts that i came came across said this that 69 percent of all conflicts in marriages are never resolved good to know (laughs) 69%. So basically, seven out of 10 of the conflicts that you have won't be resolved the way that you are hoping to resolve them. But I want to tell you this today that there can be a resolution, can't there? Now, this is what the world says, but I want to tell you that as a believer, as somebody who has Christ working in you and through you, you can say, okay, this is my personal opinion about something but I can go to the Word and see what the Word says about this, and I can get on the same page, and the person that I'm conflicting with, they can go to the Word and get on the same page, and we can come to an agreement. So the world says 69%. I say, say, let's just change that for the better, all right? Now, when I was looking at all these things today, and if you you remember our... um, hmm, I bet we could put this up here. Can you throw up in the slides... Hang on, I should qualify. I should just say, can you throw up? Because that doesn't sound good. Can you throw up a slide from the beginning that has our Family Matters logo on it? Just go up to the slideshow And let's see if we can put this up here. And it says, Family Matters, See, it talks about marriage, talking. Talking is communication, but communication was too big to fit in that box. So we said talking, kids, money, discipline, busyness, in-laws, and sex. And these were some of the subjects that we were going to be talking about in this Family Matters series. Because all these things matter, and they all deal with family life. Now, uh, Friday when I was getting ready and looking at some stuff online, if you Google things like top three issues in marriages, or top five issues in marriages, or top ten issues, issues in family and marriages. these are the things that actually come up okay so uh kids is a big deal having kids how you raise your kids how you discipline your kids how you let your kids act if you let your kids call you by your first name or if you let them josiah is always trying to call me jake and he always almost gets it he thinks it's hilarious i'm like you do not call me jake my name to you is dad or pops one of the two but you can call me those two things you call me jake and we're gonna have a problem Uh, So kids, um, in-laws are actually a big deal. Everybody's like, yeah, I want to agree with that, but my spouse is here, so I don't want to say it out loud. (laughs) In-laws are a big deal. Leaf, man, you are going to get married one day, and your wife that you marry is going to have family that she comes from. And she's going to want to spend time with them. And you're going to want to spend time with your dad. And you want to crawl up on his lap just like you are now. He's going to tickle your ears. And at Christmas time, you wanna, you're going to want to go to his house so you can do that. You're like, oh, Papa, and crawl up on his lap. And he's going to stroke your beard. And your wife's like, I want to go to my parents' house. And then, and then one day, your future wife's mother is going to tell you what she thinks you should do in your house. I'm not talking about Margaret. I'm not (laughs) talking, Margaret. I'm not talking about you. (laughs) Me and Margaret have a very good relationship. A long time ago, me and Margaret just set some real boundaries. I'm like, nope, nope. She does. Oh, hang on, clarification.
1: Mike, just in case my mom, my mom, I think she actually loves him more than she loves me. They love each other so much. <laughs> they just, they really, you guys, you and my mom have a really great relationship. Yeah, for the record. For
0: the record. Margaret, we know you'll be listening to this this week, and we know that you're hearing this, and we all love you. Everybody in this room loves Margaret. Okay. So in-laws are a big deal. Your work is a big deal. How much time you spend at work, what you're doing at work. A lot of, a lot of the issues are is that um, people go to work, they work all day long, they talk to people all day long, and they come home, and they don't want to talk about work anymore, and they don't want to talk to anybody anymore. And that's an issue, isn't it? Because theoretically, you want to spend time with your spouse. You've been apart all day, you come home, you want to spend time. So it's a big issue, your job, your finances. Now, the one thing that kept coming up, intimacy intimacy is a big deal. All these things are big deals. But in all of these lists that I looked at, the one thing that was prevalent in every single list was finances. One of the big issues in family and relationships and in marriages was finances, which is interesting. They all, all these other lists, they all had like different things that were the top three or top five or top ten issues. But the one thing that made it in every single list was finances. So today we're going to talk about money and finances and how that matters to you, how that matters in your family, and how that matters to God. Uh, last year, at the end of 2017, Canadians owed—you ready for this? $1.82 trillion in debt. $1.82 trillion. Now, let me tell you this. That is a one with 12 zeros behind it. 12. 12 zeros behind it. I remember when my kids were young, I could give them a one and they were happy Here's a loony, and they thought that was the greatest thing in the world. When they got a little bit older, when they were like 8 or 9 or 10, if I gave them 10, which is a 1 and a 0 behind it, they thought that was pretty great. Josiah's at the phase in his life right now where he's hoping for, well, actually, he just turned 16, and on his 16th birthday, he kept telling me that he wanted $3 billion for his birthday present. (laughs) So I was going to say, he, but he would in reality. He's pretty happy with a one and two zeros behind it. But isn't it interesting, the older you get, the more zeros you want and need behind everything? So most of us live with like three zeros, four zeros, maybe five zeros behind our stuff. and We're pretty satisfied and pretty happy with that. But Canadians owed $1.82 trillion. One with 12 zeros behind it. Now, that's like all the debt of Canada. That's your mortgages. That's your cars. That's, that's your credit card debt. That's your line of credit. That's everything you got. That's all the debt in Canada. Now, consumer debt for Canada last year, the average Canadian has $22,000 and I think 837 cents or something. So, 22 grand is a decent chunk of change. And they're saying the average Canadian carries that much consumer debt. And that is like credit card debt that is uh, you know like financing if you go to buy a new guitar and you just can't pay cash for it and you're like I need this guitar and it's $17,000 apparently I'm speaking to the guitarist so uh, and you go and you can finance it at Long McQuaid that is consumer debt and they're saying the average Canadian has $22,000 in consumer debt so let me ask you this some of you could be sitting there right now and you're saying so what's the big deal What's the big deal if the average Canadian, there's about 33 million of us in Canada, and you say, what's the big deal about having 22 grand in debt? Everybody has it, so who cares? Well, that's a really good question. And that's a fair question, right? When the norm is everybody has that, you could say, why does this even matter? Why are we even talking about this? Well, let me tell you. Let's go in your Bible. to Proverbs chapter 22, and let's look at a fantastic little scripture here. We know that Proverbs was written by Solomon, who the Bible tells us was the wisest man who ever lived. So Proverbs chapter 22, and in verse 7, says this. Just as the rich rule the poor, who rules the poor? Okay. So the borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now that word servant actually means this, in bondage. When you're walking around in life and carrying loads and loads of debt, you are in bondage to that thing and that thing becomes your master. Now, we're supposed to have one master, right? And who is that? I'm pointing up to help give you the answer. Yes, correct. Jesus is our master. But when we load up on the things of this world, when we have to have new new things, when we have to have things that we can't afford, we say, I'm going to pay for this later, but I need it right now. We, we load up on it. That thing that we just purchased becomes our master. And it brings division into our family because it becomes the thing that you are serving. I've got to figure out a way to pay this off. And it becomes a thing that consumes your mind. It consumes your thoughts and consumes your heart because it's weighing over you. And you are actually, the Bible says, in bondage to that. it says the borrower is servant to the lender a long time ago I used to work at a place let me tell you this I used to work at a place and uh, they had more going out than they had coming in which is a problem right (laughs) it's a problem when you have more leaving than more coming in and life became about how am I going to get the stuff in that we need to cover that has gone out and what happens is is your whole life becomes about, I've got to fix this problem. And, and we have all kinds of problems in life. But when that becomes your daily problem, what happens to you? You, li- you lose joy. You le- lose the ability to have vision and focus. You can't think about the things that really matter in life because you're focused on this one thing that you have made your master. And if I am focusing on paying off debt, if I am focusing on this area right here, I can't think about anything else other than taking care of this little little guy. I can't think about what I want my life to look like. I can't focus on my dreams and my passions. I can't think about where I want to go on holidays because this is screaming at me. And what happens is in your families. When marriage, in marriage, uh, when finances becomes an issue, that becomes a real issue between the two of you, right? Like, why is it, why are finances the number one thing that most people fight about? Because you have differing opinions about how that money should be spent. Some of us think you should save it. Some, Some of us think you should spend it and have a good time. Right, And they're all differing opinions, they're all differing beliefs, but we all have them. And so we are always fighting and contesting about how are we going to spend this? How are we going to save this? What are we going to do with our money? And so you're always dealing with this issue. I don't like it that you bought those beans for $2 instead of these beans for $1.25. We could have saved $0.75 cents and put that $0.75 cents in our Hawaii fund. But now we have to have $2 tasty beans and it's just going to take us longer to get to Hawaii. Well, I like $2 tasty beans, and I think we can wait a little bit longer to go to Hawaii. Well, I want to go to Hawaii tomorrow, and we can't do that now because you got a can of beans for $2. Well, I'd rather eat good beans and not die than than go to Hawaii tomorrow. Well, that's your opinion. Well, that's your opinion. And then you have a fight and go your separate ways, and you You find yourself eating a can of beans alone in the kitchen that are uncooked. (laughs) Scooping them out. This is not our life. Just so you know, I'm making this up as I go along. What? Promise? I don't like tasty beans. (laughs) He says this. He says, the rich rule the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You're in bondage to the person or to the thing that you owe money to. If you owe money somewhere, you're you're a servant of that thing. Now, I'm not here to bring any kind of condemnation because, as the stats say, the average Canadian has $22,000 worth of debt. So basically, statistically, most of us carry some kind of debt. So I'm not saying anything bad about anybody. I'm talking about what God wants for us. Because God doesn't want us so tied down that we can't truly be and truly do those things that he desires us to do, right? Right? God says, listen, there's things that I want you to do. He says, Lena, there's things that I want you to do with your life. There's a person that I've called you to be. I want you to be free in every area of your life not hindered by anything so you can go and just not even give a care to anything else and just go and walk that out. He says, Randall, I want you to be a certain person. I want you to be this person. I want you to do these things. I picture you. He says, he says Randall, when I made you and I created you, I had this vision in my mind of who you were going to be. And I don't want anything else to hold you down and keep you back. I just That's who I want you to be. Kim Miller, that's who I want you to be. I've got these plans. The Bible says that when he created you, he wrote the days of your life in the palm of his hand. So he thought about you. And what he didn't think about was, hmm, I want Jake to be so swallowed up by debt that that's his life and he can't do anything. That's not what God was thinking about me. That's not what he's thinking about anyways. He's thinking about freedom and life. So, what's the big deal is it's not God's plan. The big deal is that you become a slave to that debt. You become a slave to whatever you put over top of you. So, let me ask you this question. Who is your source? Who's your source? Is your job your source? Is the government your source? Is a bank your source? Is a credit card your source? Is a family member your source? Is your mom your source? Is your dad your source? Is some great uncle who died that you didn't even know and left you millions of dollars, is that your source? Or is God your source? See, this is what he wants He wants to be our source. Listen, if you go back to Genesis, when he made Adam and Eve in the garden, and he made them and made them out of the dirt, and he's like, oh, hey, hey, guys, welcome to life. Here you are. So great. I'm God. I made you. And uh, this is called your finger. This is your arm. And you can do this. And this is how I made you. he's like, oh, but mm, small problem. I didn't make anything for you to uh, eat. You need to eat. Yeah, sorry, I should have told you that. You need to eat, because if you don't eat, you die. But I just made you, and I forgot to provide for you. I just forgot all about it. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was so excited about your hair that I was making. I just loved the color and the texture of it. I got so wrapped up in it that I just forgot to make you anything to eat. So you're going to have to figure that out on your own. Is that what God did when he created Adam and Eve? Are you sure, Tristan? Because you look like, I feel like this is a trick question. I'm not quite sure how to answer this question. No, when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, what do He say to them? You can freely eat of any tree in this garden. And I love that word freely. Hey, knock yourself out. Gorge yourself on these things we call bananas. Have a pineapple. Have a Dragon fruit, which is the craziest looking fruit ever. I don't know. He said anything you can see here, you can freely eat of it because that is how God provides for us. He delights, the Bible says, in the prosperity of his people. He wants you to live a life of more than enough. He doesn't want you under the government's thumb. He doesn't want Revenue Canada calling you trying to find a way you got to. That's not what he's looking for for you. He wants you to live a life where you have enough to do the things he's called you to do. That's why when he designed us and he created, he provided for us. The two go hand in hand. And when you are living life with God and in God, that provision is there for you. Well, I'm excited about that. I feel like you're not excited about that. I'm excited about that. (sighs) Thanks, Denise. (sighs) So let's look at this. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, one of the greatest stories It's where we get our term Jehovah-Jireh from. He is Jehovah-Jireh, our provider. And in Genesis chapter 22, we see this story. And this is the story of um, Abram, who became Abraham. Does anybody know this story? Gosh, I love this story so much. I really do love. I really do love a lot of the stories in the Old Testament because they're so quirky and they're so, uh, so interesting. Genesis chapter 22 is really the resolution of a long story that's been going on for about 10 chapters now, 11 chapters. And in Genesis chapter 11, God calls Abram and says, hey, Abram, I want you to leave your family, do I want you to leave the land where you grew up, and I'm going to send you somewhere else. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and a great nation is going to come from you and from your family. And at this time, Abram was only 75 years old. So Abram goes, only 75 years old, guys, only 75. Priscilla. (laughs) I'm just. No, I was just. I was. You're the only person I can think of in here that's over 75. But God said to Abram at 75, he was going to be the father of many nations. (laughs) If God says it. 75 years old, he says to Abram, you're going to be a father of many nations. I'm going to call you out. I want you to leave here. I want you to go far away. And I'm going to make you the father of many nations. So Abram goes on this long journey. He leaves home. He takes his cousin, uh, or his nephew, Lot, with them. And they go out. And they, you know, they have these kind of adventures together. And they go into Egypt. And they get in all kinds of trouble there. And then they leave Egypt. And they go to this other place. And they keep going. and They keep going. And all through these years, uh, God keeps coming back to Abram and saying, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. You're going to have all these people. All these people will, will look to you as their father. And finally, Abram is 99 years old. So 24 years later. Has anybody had God tell him something for 24 years? Oh, man. I'm getting to the age now where I can say yes to those. And so... Uh, 24 years later, God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abram says, listen, man, we've been having this conversation for 24 years. And he says, right now, I've got no kids. So how do you keep telling me I'm going to be the father of many nations when I've got no children? I'm 99 years old, and Sarah was 90 years old. So long story short, they end up having a a baby. His name is Isaac, which means laughter, because if you had a baby when you were like 90-something years old, you would definitely be laughing. You would you'd be laughing through the pain, I'm sure. Because how is this happening? I don't know. So finally, this promise has arrived. This promise that has arrived that God has been telling Abram for so many years. Finally, this baby has showed up, and this is the fruit of God saying, you're going to be the father of many nations because now he has a son, and that son can carry on his family naming. That son can have sons, and that son can have sons, and it can can begin to happen what God said. So Abram is like, yes, here is the child of my promise. And one day, God shows up to Abram, and he says, hey, Abram. By this point, he's calling him Abraham now. He says, Abraham, uh, I got something I want you to do. Abraham says, sure, what's that? He's like, I want you. To take your only son, Isaac, and I want you to take him over the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Could you imagine waiting for all these years for a promise from God only to have him say, when the promise is fulfilled, now that the promise has been fulfilled, I want you to kill it? I don't, honestly, guys, I don't know what most of us would do. If I had waited so long, now, Listen, there's a lot of debate about how old Isaac was at this time. Some people say he was around 10 or 12. Some people say he could have been as old as 35. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God to show me how this story played out. Because they get up and they pack up in the morning. Abraham says, okay, God, I will go up the mountain and I will sacrifice this child that you give me because I trust you and I know that your word is true. And if you say to me that I'm going to be father of many nations and even if I kill Isaac, somehow I will still be what you said to me. So Abraham and Isaac get up in the morning. They go climb up this mountain. They go climb up the mountain. They, and this is the kicker to me, man, is that Abraham puts all the wood on Isaac's back. Talk about adding insult to injury. Not only am I going to sacrifice you, but you're carrying the wood for the job too. And as they go up the mountain, Isaac says to his dad, he says, Dad, I notice we have the wood because it's on my back and it's really heavy. But I can't help but notice we're missing an animal for the sacrifice. And Abraham's response is, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I always say to Cam, don't worry about it. Cam will ask me a question. I'm just like, don't worry about it. Abraham says, don't worry about it. He says, God will provide. God will take care of it. So the Bible says they get up there, they start setting up, and poor Isaac had to help set up the altar as well. They set up the altar, they throw all the wood on there, and then the Bible just casually says, and then Abraham tied up Isaac and laid him on the altar. That's where I'm going to ask God to put it in super slow motion so I can see how this all played out. I want to see what Abraham said to Isaac to get him to tie Isaac up and lay him on. I want to see if they had to chase each other around the altar. If Isaac was like, no, no. And he's like over here and Abraham's over there and they're running around like a cartoon. Until Isaac finally just like lays down. I, don't, I want to see how this played out. But the Bible just tells us that Isaac gets on the altar all tied up. And Abraham lifts his arm in the air with a knife. And he's ready to kill his son. He's ready to kill the promise. He's ready to kill the provision that God gave him. Right? This is all about provision. And he lifts his hand up to kill that provision. And right when it's up here.
1: <gasps>
0: I can only imagine what Abraham must have been feeling. Some stories I can't really fully comprehend. I couldn't fully comprehend until I had a kid of my own. But as soon as I had a kid of my own, and I had to think about putting my own kid on that altar, I understood maybe a little bit. So Abraham's got his arm way up here. He's about to plunge the knife down and kill his son. And God speaks to him. He says, Abraham, Abraham. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. It was all a test. And now I know that you honor and that you fear me. He says, now I know. Now I've seen that you would do what I asked you to do and that your provision truly comes from me. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 22 and in verse uh, 13, it says, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram. How coincidental is that? sees a ram caught by its horn in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it. And it it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place Yahweh Yairah. It's it's wise in my Bible. It's Jehovah Jireh. Which means the Lord will provide. And that term, the Lord will provide, actually means this. The Lord will see to it. I'm here to tell you today that the Lord will see to you. We all have needs in our life. We all have things that we need God to take care of and God to do for us. And Jehovah Jireh is our God and he will see to it for you. You don't have to run to the bank. You don't have to have fights with your spouse. You don't have to have fights in your home about finances because God is in heaven on the throne saying, I will see to it. I am watching you. I am looking out for you and I will be your provider. You don't have to go to somebody else to be your provision. I want to be your provision. It's what he says to us. He says, listen, when I made you in the beginning. What I made Adam and Eve, didn't I take care of them? Yes, you took care of them. Well, if I took care of them, do you think that I loved them more than I loved you? He says, no, I don't love them more than I loved you. I love you all the same amount. And if I took care of them, I'm gonna take care of you. And if I took care of your aunt and uncle, I'm gonna take care of you. And if I took care of your mom and dad, I'm gonna take care of you too. And if I took care of Bill Gates and all his billions, I'm gonna take care of you too. God is seeing to it that you have everything that you have need of. You're like, you don't believe me about this. It is true. Sometimes it doesn't feel true, does it? And that's the thing. You're like, Jake, I hear what you're saying. I know what the Bible says. But here's the thing. It doesn't feel true. But let me tell you this about feelings. They're the ones that aren't always true. Right? Your feelings, sneaky little guys, they'll lie to you. They will lie to you. They'll tell you things that aren't true. And the one thing that is true, my friends, is Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. All right. One last scripture. We'll finish up here. So you say this. uh, How do we put God in that position? How do we make him our provider? How do we make him our source? Well, there's two things you do. The spiritual side of things is very easy. Now, John 3:16 says this. Can anybody quote John 3:16? Stop. What did he do? What did he do? He loved and he gave. He loved and he gave. For God so loved that He gave. I don't, honestly, I don't know, like, what more, which, how much more you need to say besides that. God loved, so he gave. I love, so I give. I love that curly-haired boy back there so much that I give. When we go to a restaurant, I give him food. I give him more food. I give him more food. I give him clothes. I love, so I give. The Bible says this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What's your treasure? What is your treasure? Because this is the truth. We all love something. We all love lots of things, and we will give to those things. Maybe our time, maybe our energy, maybe our resources, maybe our thoughts, maybe our money. But there's something that we all love, some things that we all love, and we do give to those things. But do those things provide for us in the way that we need them to? Hmm. Not usually. So God so loved that he gave. So I so love that I give to him. He is my treasure. So my heart is there with him. So on Sunday mornings, I get up at the crack of dawn and I come here because I love all of you. I love having church with you. So I set up these chairs so you can put your butts in them. And we put up these speakers so you can listen to them. And you can hear what's happening. We get the band already so you can worship. That is me giving my time. It's not fun on Sunday mornings. Who here has done setup? up? How awesome is it? Do you not just like look for like on Monday, you're like, oh my gosh, only six more days to set up a church. Yeah! I don't think anybody does that. <laughs> so loved that he gave. So, how do we give? Well, there's two ways to do Spiritually, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, talks about tithing. So, let's look at this. Malachi chapter 3, it's the very last book in the Old Testament. We're almost done here just hang on for a few more minutes guys Malachi tree 3 tree Malachi tree smudge mekin Malachi 3 verse 10 says bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple if you do says the lord of heaven's armies i will open the windows of heaven for you and i will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. I love this part. Try it and put me to the test. So when I talk to people about paying their tithe, they're like, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about tithing in the New Testament. Well, you're right, it doesn't. It doesn't. Jesus mentions it once. And he talks to the, to the Pharisees about how you worry about paying the tithe on the mint, but you, but you don't pay attention to the bigger issues. So when I talk to people, people, that, people paying their tithe, they say, well, listen, He said, here, try it and put me to the test. So that's what I've done in my life. So I would say to you, try it, put to the test. Pay your tithe and see what happens. He says, because if you do pay your tithe, I will open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing so great upon you that you won't have room enough to take it in. So you're like, well, people are like, I don't know, man, I'm paying my tithe. You want me to take 10% of my money and give it to the church? What does the church need my money for anyways? Well, here's what the church needs your money for to do church business, so that we can take this good news and send it out into the world. That's what the church does with your money. That's what the church does with my money. That's what we exist for, to take what we get here and give it away. That's why we're here. That's why we're looking out into the city of Abitur. That's why we're moving buildings, so we can be in the heart of downtown, so we can be right where the city council meets, and we can find ways to reach out and touch the city. So he says, try it, put me to the test, pay your tithe. I would challenge you today, if you don't pay your tithe, then do what the scripture says. Say, okay, I'm gonna pay my tithe for one month. I'm gonna give God 10% of my income for one month and see what happens in my life. He said it, he said, try it and put me to the test. Traditionally, usually about 20% of the people in the church give 80% of the church's income. Which means there's a lot of people that don't pay their tithe and don't give to the church, I would say to you today, put God to the test. I don't know who pays your tithes here or not. I don't, I've never seen any of that stuff. I'm just talking off the cuff right now. I'm talking statistics. But if that is you, I would say try it and see what God does in your life because he wants to be your provider. And this is how you make him your provision, by putting your trust and your hope and your faith in him. If you love him, then you give. God so loved that he gave for you so I so love, so I give it to him. And he says, if you'll give to me, if you'll give your 10% to me, 10%. He says, if you'll give that to me, I'll open the windows of heaven and I'll pour a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to hold it. All right, let's look at another scripture here. Uh, Luke chapter 638. And this is the last one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke 638 says this. Give and you will receive. There are practical principles that God created. There's there's physics principles that are true. If I jump in the air, I'm going to come down, right? That's just the way it works. And that's a law that God created. And this is another law that God created. If you give, you will receive. So I try to be open-handed in every area of my life. I'm talking about me right now. I practice giving every chance I can in every way that I can. Sometimes it's with my money. Sometimes it's with my energy. Sometimes it's with uh, things that I can do or I can give away. But I try to live an open-handed lifestyle because I love people and I want to give to them. And the Bible says when I do do that, that I will receive. So spiritually, these are two things you do so that you can put God as your provider in your life. Practically, what do you do in your life? Do things like make a budget. I'm planning on having a conference like, where we can have somebody come in and teach about finances and help people learn to budget. And we can go to the office and we can sit down on one Saturday and have somebody come in and teach us how to properly do your finances. Those are good, practical things to do. They're good, practical things to know how to... Does everybody here know how to budget your money? Some people do. Some people don't. I don't know. Sort of. (laughs) I kind of do. I sort of know what a budget is. Then let's all get together and sit down practically and find out what a budget is and make it work for us. So we're not always running around off the cuff trying to figure out what to do. Put things into place. And then the other thing you can do practically is if you're married, is you get on the same page with your spouse about finances. And the beans. (laughs) Yeah, and not be afraid about it.
1: Of Of finances or being on the same page? (laughs) Absolutely. I think think sometimes, too, as spouses, we can get afraid to broach conversations because you've had a past. Like, you know that it's, it's like on, baby, as soon as you talk about it. But I really believe that there's actually a sound within the sound in this message where even for all of us as a church to get our homes, to get our finances, to get our marriages, to get our families... In order, in order, because God's preparing us, and and I just want to challenge all of the spouses in here, to if if this is a problem, having this conversation, let's have it, let's have it this week, and just and just um like, you know the Bible says um in honor serving, uh, in honor serving one another in the fear of the Lord. Sorry, serve one another in the fear of the Lord, is that we could just look at each other and I could say Jake, can we just, yeah, no. But you know what? Let's have this. Let's do this. Because you know ultimately what this is about? It's us being in union with God so that we can be in union with one another so that we can flourish. That's really what it's about. And debt and all of that stuff actually, if we're really to break it down, breaks us out of union with God, which breaks us out of union with one another so that his blessings can't totally freely flow in our life because there's just there's something in that connection. And that's, that's debt, and debt can bring shame, and it can bring guilt, and all sorts of stuff, fear. It can bring pain, because you can't have the real conversations. But I'm excited, like when he talks about, like, let's bring someone in and have a seminar. You know, like, we can preach all day long that the blessings of God will come behind and overtake you. We can preach all day long to pay your tithe, and it's true, and it works. But if we're not also equipping one another to be like, hey, you can't spend more than that's coming in, then, then all of this is, is for nothing, that it, it takes both working together. And I just want to challenge spouses. Like, let's not be afraid to have these conversations this week because God's trying to bring order and unity into our homes.
0: Stand up with me. You could be saying, like, what does this have to do with family? Well, here's what it has to do with family is that this is one of the biggest issues that that divides families, that divides marriages, that uh, separates people. And so this has to do with family because if we can come to an agreement on this, if we can come to an understanding that is godly and biblical about this, then our family can't be pulled apart and it can't be separated. And the enemy can't get inside and destroy like the enemy is trying to do. Because if you notice, we're talking about this because in the world, families are falling apart division abounds people are not parenting their kids marriages are falling apart there's all kinds of terrible things happening in the family unit it's being redefined into something that it was never designed to be and so we have to stay strong as a family unit amen all right so let's pray real quick thank you so much for joining us today We want to encourage you to take what you just heard and let it go deeply into your heart to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. We also want to encourage you to be a part of what's going on here at Connect. Head over to connectchurch.ca to find out how.